I just turn on the tears, man. Got me. But uh, good morning, everyone. Um, Jonathan did a great intro, but I will just repeat because it's in here. But my name is Farrell Tyndall. I just graduated uh, from Duke Divinity School a couple weekends ago. In three weeks, a little under three weeks, I get to marry over here, um, which is exciting. So lots of fun things. Um, but just to know, I don't preach a lot. Um, I, I really don't. I, I went to divinity school, but I just don't preach a lot. Um, I actually waited until my last semester in divinity school to take preaching, which is required. Um, and this is not a lie. About two hours after my, I preached my last sermon, I preached three sermons, and I preached my last one, I breathed this massive sigh of relief. And about two hours later, I get a text from Jonathan Miller asking if I'd want to preach here. And I was kind of like, yes, but also it kind of felt like God was being like, gotcha, it's not done yet. So, uh, but no, I'm really happy to be here. I'm really honored um, to be here and uh, to be asked and to be with you guys this morning. It really does mean a lot. So um, with that said, let's, let's get into it. Um, the passage this morning comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Uh, you can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. Um, yeah, okay. So Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become enslaved to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Merciful God, we thank you for bringing us all here together. Um, for bringing us here safely this morning, for gathering us, this, this group of people, this community that um, is near and dear to me. Um, God, we ask that you would enter this place, that you would dwell among us. Um, I ask that the words that come out of my mouth would be pleasing to you. I ask that any fumbling over words, any wrong choices of words, any miscommunications would just would not be heard, Lord. I ask that um, you would speak through me, that you would, um, that the hearts of everyone here today would be softened by your word. Father, we thank you so much, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
I want to start by saying that this text really challenged me this week. Um, I wasn't really anticipating that, weirdly enough. I, I probably should have, but uh, I think it's probably because I've gotten in sort of a routine with Scripture. I think um, anyone who you know has experienced studying Scripture as something outside a personal devotion of a text that I'm supposed to do all these things with kind of understands what I'm talking about. Um, and if I'm not careful, Scripture can kind of become this thing, this resource of, you know, study instead of the testament to the creator of the universe. Um, and I think God knew what he was doing when he asked, or when Jonathan asked me to preach this text. Um, God really worked on me this week. And um, I typically try to preach sermons that challenge more of who God is rather than how we live, which I don't know how I got to this point without challenging that myself, um, but here we are. So, um, yeah. And I won't lie, when Jonathan told me you guys were starting a, uh, a scripture series on Galatians, I thought, oh no, <laughs> it's Paul. He, uh, you know, Paul's always upset about something, and it's just, I don't know, it's true, but, and he's got his reasons. Kyle's gone through that, um, so I won't belabor that, but you know, the Galatians are bickering with one another over circumcision and legalism and all that good stuff. And Paul is trying to show the Galatians how to live in the beloved community that God has called us into without discord and friction and hostility. And honestly, it sounds a lot like the world we live in today, right? People divide quicker than water and vinegar. We live in a really difficult time. People are at odds with one another. Even just driving here, people, you know, road rage, giving into that. And we're all guilty of it, right? I know I am. I have to be, I have a need to be right. Um, it's a deeply rooted sin that I really try every day to overcome and consistently fail. Um, you can ask my fiance. It puts me at odds with all the people I love. Um, and those are the people I already love, but what about the people I, I kind of don't get along with? You know, the people that frustrate me. I've got no chance. Outside the grace of, of God, there is no way my flesh will let that go. Um, and just like the Gentiles and Jews had a need to be right and dividing themselves over circumcision and saying, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, I'm right, I cut myself off from folks based on if I think I'm right or wrong. And I have the freedom to do that, right? I, sure, I have free will. So, but what good does it do to me or to the people around me or to God or the kingdom of God? So the portion I'm talking about today, it's about how we act in community with one another. It's a little instruction guide of how to be kind and decent to our neighbors. The Galatians are frustrated with each other, sowing discord with one another. And so Paul frames it with the Old Testament commandment that they know super well. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to talk a little bit about verse 13. For you recall the freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become enslaved to one another. And this got me thinking, in this country we've heard a lot lately, well, I have the right to do A, or it's a free country, I can do this. And I think people can get away with it if you stop at, for you are called to freedom. But there's more, Paul doesn't end it there. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become enslaved to one another. Maybe we don't use our freedom for our own gain, 
for our own selfish reasons, for ourselves, for self-indulgence. Maybe we don't use our right to free speech to hurt someone else. Maybe we don't use our right to religion to oppress another. Maybe we don't use our right to claim, I'm right and you're wrong, to alienate someone else. But instead, what? Use your freedom to bind and enslave yourselves to one another through love. Freedom doesn't grant license to do whatever we want. Not when we're living in Christ. Paul has a very specific idea of what he means. Freedom doesn't grant us license to give in to the works of the flesh. But before we get there, I want to go back to that last part. Through love, become enslaved to one another. What does that mean? Well, when I was writing the sermon, I was doing some digging and commentaries and devotionals, the whole gamut. And just as a cursory glance on the internet, I, uh, I came across the Desiring God blog, um, John Piper's blog. And um, I'll be completely honest with you guys. John Piper's just not my dude. We're, I don't think we'd be friends in real life. Um, you know, he, we disagree on a lot. And that's okay. But as I'm doing my search, I come across this blog. And, of course, it's John Piper, so he's got all the resources on Paul you could ever want. And I, I, look, I clicked the page, and I saw the arc, article's author, and I went, oh, nope, and just hit back. Just got to go back to Google search. And some of you guys might be thinking, God, what is Farrell's deal? John Piper's not, like, he's cool, right? And come find me after. We can talk. The point is, though, refusing to even read John Piper, who I'll admit is a great theologian and pastor, that's not enslaving myself to another in love. That's not submitting to those around me and binding myself to them. And I couldn't help but, I, I told you guys, this text has been working on me all week. And it was preaching back to me. And part of me this whole time was like, oh my gosh, I hope this is helpful for someone because if anything, this, this sermon that, that God has in, in put in my heart has, is honestly preaching most to me. Um, and I, I didn't anticipate that. Um, but anyways, I read his blog. I read a lot of his blogs, actually. I, I really did. Um, about Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit. And it's a small example, right? It's not, it's not crazy, but it's one that I find myself falling into day after day. Giving into the work of the flesh and my own self-righteousness over and over again. And I have the freedom to disagree and choose to not like someone. I do. But... What is, what is God calling me to? What is Christ calling us to? What is Christ calling me to do in terms of loving those with whom I don't get along? He's asking me and he's asking us to serve one another humbly in love, as the NIV puts it. Enslave myself to another through love. And I want to caveat. I, don't want, I want to make a couple things clear. I'm, we're not talking about oppressive forces here. We're not talking about abuse evil injustice. Paul's talking to the Galatians who are, who are bickering over, over the law, right? Of people not unlike ourselves and the world that we're in right now. Um, so that's not what he's asking us to. We're not talking about standing up for what's right. There are times when that is necessary and for us to confront, but it's important to confront in love. He doesn't want them or us to be stuck in discord just arguing with each other the whole time. It does no good, right? He's confronting them with the freedom and love of Christ. The freedom to bind ourselves to each other in love. 
And he continues, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by another. Again, Paul here is showing us that love is the ultimate fulfillment of the law in the way that he knows best. He quotes the Levitical commandment to Moses, which tells us that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are bound by this love. They're fulfilled by this love. And let's remember, you shall love your neighbor, is not, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is not a commandment just to love yourself, right? As I was reading John Piper, because I'm really trying to submit to my neighbor here, he says that it's a reminder to feed our neighbors at the same level we feed our own bodies when they grow out in hunger. It's a reminder to, quote, want to find your neighbor a job as much as you are glad you have a job. Want to help your fellow student get A's as much as you want A's. Want to help the person stalled on the freeway as much as you're glad you're not stalled on the freeway. Want to give the poor softball player a chance to play as much as you want to play the whole game. Want to share Christ with your neighbor as much as you are glad you know Christ yourself. And I want to extend that to a reminder to create spaces for people who haven't had the same opportunities. A reminder to be courteous of others and their experiences, as maybe ours have been listened to in the past and respected in the past. A reminder to have grace for others, as we have been offered grace for numerous weaknesses and imperfections. Paul continues in verse 16, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, Strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. You, as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about you guys, but it's hard stuff. I mean, you may look at that list of works of the flesh and say, well, I'm not like super into sorcery, and I, you know, I don't cheat on my spouse, and I don't have anger management issues, so I'd say like, I'm pretty good. But that verse 16, it gets me. Do not, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. When I'm tired, which is a lot these days, you can ask Jeff or really anyone who knows me, they'll confirm when I'm tired, it is very easy to give in to the flesh, to lash out when I feel underappreciated, to be stubborn about, frankly, something so silly and dumb as, like, which Marvel character superhero is the best. It's so dumb, and it's easy for me to give into that. I just say, my quota is up. I have no more capacity for patience, for goodness, for self-control, for gentleness. It's easy for me to give into the works of the flesh. The works of my flesh, which specialize in stubbornness, bickering over stupid, trivial things, and overall unpleasantness. Jonathan Kyle, it might be good for you guys just to write down some of these things for marriage counseling, but just giving you a little insight, but um, I want to invite you guys to think of a tree. Not quite an adult tree, but one that's still growing. One that needs attention. And if any gardeners are here in the house, you know that for the tree to grow and not succumb to infection or stunted growth, you have to cut it. It's painful. Pruning a tree. And sometimes when we're gardening or tending to our plants, it's important to cut off those dead branches or flowers that look somewhat pretty, but in reality are sucking the nutrients away 
from the parts of the plant that produce fruit. That was my dad's job when he was a kid, walking through tobacco fields, cutting the tops of the flowers off. It's natural. It's natural in plants and it's natural in us, right? It's not difficult to fall into the works of the flesh. You don't have to work very hard to give in to argumentativeness. At least I don't have to. They're natural. We're innately sinful people, right? And these works, if we allow them to grow, if we allow anger to simmer, for jealousy to sit unchecked, for strife to remain unresolved, it stunts the growth of the fruit, sometimes making it impossible to produce fruit. A lot like a tree. Someone very wise taught me the value of pruning, of assessing, praying, making a plan, and pruning. Pruning those ugly parts of us, those parts that we aren't proud of, the parts that cause us to say to ourselves, ah, I should have done that better, or why, I shouldn't have said anything, I shouldn't have done anything at all, I just should have left it. Why do I always have to be right? What's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I control my tongue? What's my deal? It's invasive, it creeps in. And if not tended to, it takes root. And it causes rot. It's spiritless, it's legalism, it's giving into the flesh. But what do we know through this book? We know we have these thoughts and feelings and deeds that are starting to creep in and take root. But we have confidence in the freedom granted to us in Christ. We have confidence in the spirit that is working in and through us to sow love around us. We have confidence in the grace that God has gifted to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we start being hard on ourselves, it's important to recognize the ways in which we can grow in the spirit. But it's also important to evaluate the ways in which we might prune these works of the flesh so that we might not gratify the works of the flesh. But we can only do that with the help of the Spirit, with the help of God. But, Paul continues, By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. And you guys might have been just waiting to get to this part. It's kind of the good part. But these fruits of the Spirit, they're much more intangible than the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh, I mean... I can see it, right? Debauchery, discord, sorcery, those are acts that you can see. And the fruits of the Spirit are a little more slippery. They're harder to kind of quantify. And I want to argue something here. I want to say that love is less of a fruit of the Spirit as it's more of the seed the sp that, the that the Spirit sows in our hearts. Love gives way for joy, peace, patience, ge kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love is the source of joy. Love is the source of peace, of patience. Love is the reason we can be kind to one another. Love is the reason we can assume the best of another person. Love is the reason we can choose to contain ourselves. Love is the seed. But what do these fruits look like in real life? We can picture the green allure of envy. We can hear the vo many voices speaking of each other in arguments. We can sense the slow burn of anger just waiting to spark. 
These are things we experience every day. We feel them, see them, hear them, smell them, and taste even the sweet, sweet charm of our idols. It's tangible. So what exactly do these fruits look like in the moments where it seems like the only answer is a smart comeback? Where it seems the only answer is to build a wall around our hearts? Where it seems like the only answer is to confront? And let's remember, Paul isn't talking to a group of friends here and there all around this room. He's talking to an entire people, to a church. He's talking to us, right? It's practical. And sometimes the fruit of the Spirit, it appears in inconspicuous ways. Sometimes it's small acts of kindness, like folding the laundry. Sometimes it's standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves in order to bring peace in a situation where only one party is experiencing that peace. Sometimes it's holding my tongue. Sometimes it's celebrating the life of another simply for existing. And sometimes it's reading and absorbing the thoughts and opinions of those we disagree with. It's always submitting to each other in love. And as we enter into a spirit-filled life, what does it look like to treat one another with the love that God has for us? With the love that we have for ourselves? With the love that we have for the people we choose to do life with? With the love that the Spirit is pushing us towards? It's painful, right? It's painful. It's, as bad as it sounds, it's painful and hard to love people that are just difficult to be with and to be around. It requires a lot. And on a, a small scale, it requires me to get over myself, to get over the things that I viscerally disagree with, to lay those things down at the cross. It reminds me to show generosity. It requires me to express gentleness. And I'm still talking about Piper, because those with whom I disagree with, we are called to love fiercely. Christ calls us to something higher when he grants us freedom. Through Christ, we have the freedom and the ability to prune the broken branches, the diseased shoots, those works of the flesh that take root in our lives. Through Christ, we have the freedom and ability to flourish, to thrive, and to produce fruits that allow us to serve one another humbly and enslave us to one another. To those we don't particularly like, to those we don't get along with, to those we disagree with, but to those we are called to love. And this is not an easy message to preach. It's really not. It's hard to hear some of these words coming out of my mouth because I need to hear them just as much as anyone else. It, and it shouldn't be as painful as it is, but it's the reality of it. Because walking in the Spirit isn't easy. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it, it just is. And, and Paul is teaching and preaching a difficult message, right? One that calls on people to abandon the comfortable guardrails of the law. One that calls on people to ab abandon the comfortable, you do you, I'll do me. No, 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 no. Loving each other is more than respect. Loving one another is sharing joy with another. It's, it's being patient when, our, when we're at our wit's end. It's controlling the urge to insist we're right, even if we are. It's replacing that urge with gentleness, with generosity, with love and peace. Some of us, including myself, might be thinking, God, I don't know how I can do that. I don't know how I can do this. Or maybe that's just me. But here's the good news. Paul says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. We have a helper. We have a guide. We have an advocate. We have someone cheering us on the whole way, knowing and believing we can do it. That person empowering every healthy shoot that comes out of the tree, every snip of the pruning process, and each growth of fruit. 
And as the band comes up, I want to remind I want to remember this. It isn't striving, but rather flourishing. It's thriving in the spirit. And thankfully, the love of God isn't based on how much fruit we produce or how well we prune our trees. And Mia said it perfectly last week. She said, God seeing and knowing and loving us was always based on his character, not ours. No matter if we use our freedom given to us unwisely, God is always there, believing in us and knowing that by his grace we can finish the race, cheering us on, pushing us to love our neighbors, pushing us to cleave those parts of us that gratify the flesh and live into the community that God has called us to. The good news is we can't do it alone, but we have the spirit graciously given to us by the Son so that we might know and show the love of God to others. The good news is Christ has already done the work, as Mia has said. Christ has already covered all of those times we gratify the flesh. And like Paul says, we've been granted freedom in Christ, freedom to do what we like, freedom to mess up, freedom to do the right thing. We have choice. So may we choose to not use our freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. May we choose to become enslaved to one another through love. May we choose to be guided by the Spirit to prune the works of the flesh trying to take root in our lives. May we choose to follow Christ into the beloved community that he's called us into. May we choose to produce fruit, good fruit, sown by love, being helped by the Holy Spirit. May we live as one people, undivided, united by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May we walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And as the band plays, I'd like to invite you to come and receive the gift of the elements as you feel led. As you do, take the bread and take the cup back to your seat, and I'll come back up and we'll take it together.